God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today. Thanks so much for coming. And we realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there. So we bring that service to you wherever you are. And we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Would you open in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 18? That's where we're going to be today. And as you know, we'll also put those verses up here in the video for you just to make it easier for you to follow along. And today we're continuing in our journey through the book of Genesis. Or remember, in Hebrew, Hasefe Bereshit. And today we've arrived at chapter 18. We're still studying the life of Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, the father of all who believe in Yeshua, the Jewish Mashiach, Messiah. And today I'd like to talk to you about being anchored to the Word of God. You know, as we learn more about the man Abraham, we see a man on a journey with God. And on this journey, Abraham is listening to what God says to him. Abraham is watching what God does. He's finding out about the things that are important to God, and he's discovering the heart of God. After all, if you didn't yet have the Bible to tell you what God was like and God appeared to you and God spoke to you, you would be listening carefully to what God says every time He speaks. You would watch carefully to discover what God is like. And you would want to know what He expects of you and what He thinks of you. Is He merciful? Is He kind? You would want to know if He likes you, if He loves you. Is He strict? Is He kind to you? Is He merciful, like we said? Is He forgiving? Because after all, we've all sinned and we're not righteous like He is. And so you'd want to know, is He judgmental? Or is He patient and long-suffering with you? And each new time the Lord speaks with Abraham, Abraham finds out more about the heart of God. He discovers more about what God is like. Now in Genesis 18, Abraham sees that God wants Abraham to be his friend, to walk with him. God wants to reveal to Abraham things that he's not telling other people at that time. And God wants Abraham to discover that God is merciful. And he wants him to discover that God is ready to forgive if people repent but that he's also ready to judge sin if they don't repent. So as I start in verse 1 of chapter 18 uh, today, let's look there and see what it says. Genesis 18 verse 1 says, Then the Lord appeared to Abraham, to him, by the terebinth tree of Mamre. The terebinth trees, that is, of Mamre. As he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. It can get hot over there tent, any shade would be comforting, comforting to Abram. And so Abram lifted up his eyes, it says, and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them. And he bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant, but please let a little water be brought Wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree where the shade was, you see. And I'll bring you a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. They said, do as you said. 
And so then the Lord appeared is what it said. Now already we're at a, we're at a point that we got to spend some time on. You know, apparently this was a short time later from Genesis chapter 17, verse 21, where God had also spoken to Abraham and said that Sarah would give, a, uh, give birth to their promised child, Isaac. Isaac, remember, it meant laughter because Abraham had laughed and now Sarah is laughing too. And God has spoken to Abraham about this promised child in Genesis 17:21. That was only no more than three months before this event that we're studying about today. Now, how do I know that it was only three months before? Well, he told Abraham that the promised child would be coming in a year. And now he's going to be telling Abraham that the promised child is going to be coming in the time of life. And that meant the time that a pregnant lady would carry a child before giving birth. And so that's nine months. So 12 months minus the nine months means that after all of these years of waiting, waiting 13 years, waiting all of this time for the Lord to make this promise happen, now things are rolling. Now they're getting started. And only three months ago, God has promised that this baby would come in a year. And now here he is again, making this same promise and updating it to the time of life or nine months. And we'll see as we go along how that all plays in. But it says the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre. Here again, the Lord came to Abraham in human appearance. This is, another, this is another presentation of Jesus the Messiah, the Lord, in human form before He became a man and died for the sins of the world on the cross of Calvary. Now, here's why we know that this is Jesus. We could assume that this was God in the person of Jesus the Messiah, second person of the Trinity. God is one, but yet He exists in a way that is far higher than our thoughts can imagine. His ways are higher than our ways as the heavens are above the earth. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts as the heavens are above the earth. Now some of the Orthodox Jewish people, God bless him, and I have many wonderful friends there who are rabbis and, and Orthodox Jews, and we talk and we discuss the things of God, and, and some of them have come to believe on Jesus as the Messiah and the Lord. I'm so pleased with what God is doing in their lives. In the meantime, we bring the Word of God to all Jewish people throughout Israel, throughout the world, and also to Gentiles, the Goyim, the nations, as we would say, Bivrit in Hebrew. And so we bring it to them because that is what God has called us to do. He's called us to bring the gospel to every living creature baptizing those that believe, making disciples of those that believe. But we can assume that this is Jesus who is appearing to Abraham, and we assume this because God the Father, it says of Him in the Bible that no one has seen God at any time. Jesus said that in John 1 verse 18, Barbara Chadashah in the New Testament, says no one has seen God at any time. But the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. And no man has ever seen the person of God the Father. It says in 1 Timothy 6, 16. 
So if God appeared to someone in human appearance in the Old Testament, and yet no one has seen God the Father, it makes sense that who is appearing to him is God the Son, the eternal Son, the second person of the Trinity. Before he became a man and gave his life for the sins of mankind 2,000 years ago. That's how we reason that this has got to be Yeshua HaMashiach, Ha'adon, Jesus the, the Messiah, the Lord, who is appearing to Abraham of Inu, Abraham our father. Now it's said that three men were standing by him in the verses that we just read. We don't know if Abraham immediately recognized who these visitors were. Abraham was a courteous man, he was a godly man, and it was the custom to extend courtesy and hospitality to anyone who came your way. But though the Lord in the person of Jesus Christ appeared to Abraham twice before, Genesis 12, 7 and 17, 1, for example, we don't know if Jesus looked the same each time. Remember, there was a time after his resurrection that Jesus appeared to the disciples, but they didn't recognize him. He looked different to them, and he can be different every time he appears to you. And remember that in Hebrews it says, uh, be careful how you respond to people, for some have entertained angels unaware. In other words, be careful that you show hospitality to all people, because in so doing, some have even entertained angels who appeared as men to them. And so now we see that Abraham ran from the tent door to meet them. According to his customs of that culture, as we said, Abraham offered the hospitality of his house to these travelers as he would other travelers. But there was something that Abraham saw in these particular men that really caught his eye. And we're going to see later how he starts calling one of them the Lord. And the one that he starts calling the Lord never denied that, but answered Abraham as God, as the Lord. And so we see now that it said that Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah, his wife. This is in verse uh, chapter 18, verse 6 through 8. Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah, his wife, and said, Quickly make three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make some cakes. Now Abraham had said, well, let me bring you some water and a little bit of bread, a morsel of bread, he said. But now he goes back and he plans with his wife, and they're starting to plan this big meal. So he said, Sarah, make some of that fine bread that you usually make with the fine meal. Knead it and make cakes out of it. And Abraham, Abraham ran to the herd, it says, and he took a tender and a good calf, gave it to the young men a young man that works for him, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. So I like the way that Abraham under-promised and over-delivered. So many times we get excited and we over-promise and we under-deliver. It's kind of disappointing when people say that they're going to do something then they don't do it. One thing I noticed when I first went to Israel back in 2004, 15 years ago, is I noticed that unlike in America, when Israelis say something and they commit to something, they expect that person to do what they said that they were going to do. 
In America, sadly, it's become the culture that people will say anything and they'll promise all kinds of things. And they'll say, oh, I'll call you, but they never call you. They'll say, oh, well, I'll come and see you, but they don't come and see you. They say, well, I'll do this. Don't worry about it. And they don't do that. And sadly, the culture in America has become a culture where everyone just expects people to not do what they said they were going to do. But in Israel, it's not that way. In Israel, to their credit, they're people of integrity and they follow through with what they say. If you say that you're going to do something and you're an American and you're visiting Israel, then you better do it because it's going to be a problem if you don't do it and your reputation is going to go out that you're not a person of integrity. So in Israel, they did what they were going to say. Well, here, Abraham not only brings them a morsel of bread and some water to drink, but he over-delivers. He did more than what he was going to, uh, more than what he said he was going to do. And he tells his wife, Sarah, make three measures of fine meal. Knead it. In other words, work with it. Make sure it's not lumpy. Make sure it's all even and, and good and tasty and make cakes. And he ran to the herd and he had one of his young men that were part of his huge community there to hasten and prepare it. And then he took butter and milk with it. Those weren't mentioned with the morsel of bread and the uh, drink of water, the butter and the milk and the calf. Now, those of you who know about meat, those of you who know that, you know, veal parmesan, well, the veal is, is basically from a young calf. And a young calf is the most tender kind of meat. So Abram took a good tender calf and he prepared this for his guests. He took the butter and the milk, tasty stuff, and he set it before the men. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. He was serving them. And then it said that Abram had hurried into the tent. So we see that Abram is really uh, impressed by who these men are. These aren't just regular visitors. And then it says in chapter 18, verse 9 and 10, God reconfirms His promise of a son. And here's what He said, just as I said when we opened today. He said, Then they said to Him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And so He said, Here in the tent. And He said, meaning the Lord said then, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. You see, there it is. That's a time of gestation. That's a time that it takes from a pregnant lady after the time that she is first pregnant to deliver a child on average. Some babies are premature. Others last a little longer than the nine months. But on average, it's about nine months, of course, as we know. And so God says now, and we know it's the Lord, it's not just an angel, because He says, and I will certainly return to you at the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But he said, certainly I'll return to you in the time of life. That's that nine months later. Now, after all of this time of Abram and Sarah waiting for the promise of God, now God is saying, okay, it's coming down now. It's happening now. It's going to happen in nine more months. Three months ago, he said, it's going to happen in a year. They had been waiting for years. Now, when you wait 
for God to act in your life. He doesn't always act when you want Him to act. Have you noticed that? Sometimes He acts, many times He acts after the time that you think He should have acted. When you ask Him something, you want Him to do it right now. It's probably a pressing need. And sadly, many of us wait uh, to pray about something until it's become desperate. And, we, and we've exhausted all of our other plans and nothing else has worked. So we say, well, there's nothing left to do but pray. Well, that's a problem right there. Prayer should be the first thing that you do. Prayer is the most certain thing that you should do. Prayer is the thing that works all the time because God will either answer you in yes or He'll answer you as no because He's got something better for you and that's a good thing or He'll answer you as wait a little while longer. You don't have to give up. You don't say, well, I prayed, but God didn't answer my prayer. Oh, He did answer your prayer. Sometimes he answers your prayer with, no, I've got something better. I remember when I first met my wife, we'd been married now 45 years, which is amazing because I think she's only 37. She looks so young. So anyway, 45 years ago, right before I married her, I had dated her best friend. And her best friend and I were engaged. And her best friend basically dumped me. She decided she wanted somebody else. So there I was, all sad and everything. But I had prayed, you see. I would pray that this young lady who I was dating would, would be my wife and that everything would go well and everything. And what happened? Well, God said no. He said, I've got something better. Oh, was he accurate. Oh, was he right. I am so glad he said no. Because the lady that I have now is the most wonderful woman in all of the world. What a godly woman. What a blessed wife she has been to me and still is. I am so glad that God answers with no sometimes, you see. But it seems like when God is silent about our prayers for a while that we tend to give up. And then when He comes along, and answers them, we go like, well, what is that? I thought God wasn't going to do this. I thought God didn't answer my prayer. No, He answered your prayer. It was just later than you thought He should answer. His timing, by the way, is perfect. His timing is always perfect. It's your timing that's off. Yeah. Sometimes you've said maybe something at the wrong time, at the wrong place, right? Sometimes you put your foot in your mouth and you, you speak prematurely and you say something that you shouldn't have said or you say something before someone finishes their sentence and then you find out how foolish that was because as they finished their sentence, they were really talking about something else. But God's timing is perfect. And God always has perfect timing. So when God waits a while, don't give up. He knows that you've asked Him for something. He knows that you brought something to Him in prayer. Just move on and just go about life and wait because in the right time, you'll get the right answer. And the answer can be yes. The answer could be no. The answer could be wait, and then I'll give it to you. But God then says, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. We need to hear 
God's promises over and over again. Now, God has told this to Abram and Sarah before. But he speaks it again in chapter 18, just like he does in our lives. Sometimes he says the same thing to us again and again. He knows how stubborn we are. He knows that some of us, and that would be hard-headed me, he knows that some of us need to hear things more than once. Sadly, it's true. And we learn by hearing them over and over again. When I study technical things, and some of you know that I do astrophotography, take pictures of the, the stars and the beauties of the heavens with my uh, astronomy telescope and, and all like that. And after I bring it back in, there's a whole lot of work that has to be done on the computer. And taking the picture can take a couple of hours and all night to be out there on the trip dedicated to taking these pictures of the things in the heavens. But when I bring them home, it can take a whole day to make that picture happen in such a way as to where everyone can now see it. And it's a very technical process. I was an engineer. I was a scientist. I've got a, about a half a dozen patents in the U.S. trademark and patent office and everything. I'm a very technical person, solid state physics. I was a senior staff engineer for a little place called IBM, as I've said before. And all of these technical things, and yet this hobby that I do for relaxing and fun turns out to be one of the hardest things I've ever done. And so as I'm sitting there working with all of this post-processing, image processing for these photos that I took, trying to make them into what they're supposed to be, sometimes I have to take a very complicated tutorial that's also playing in a video over here. And I'm watching this tutorial and doing this step by step. And it's so complicated that I don't, I don't get it just the first time. I don't remember it just the first time. I don't even remember it just the tenth time. I'm making progress. But I still don't have it under my belt, as we would say. I still don't have it committed to memory. And I will have to do this video following it step by step sometimes 20 or 30 times before I remember all of those many, many steps that I have to do to process each and every photo. Well, that's the way God is with us. He knows that sometimes we just don't get it the first time, or even the second time, or even the third time. Think of all the times that Jesus told the disciples that he was going to be handed over to the Gentiles, die and be resurrected on the third day. And yet, even when he was in the tomb, they still didn't understand it. They still didn't get it. And so God is patiently working with us. And now he's telling Abram and Sarah again, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now, I learned in English that when you use the word will, it's different than when you use the word shall. If you had said, Sarah, your wife will have a son, that's one thing. And of course, God never lies and what he says, he does. But when you use the word shall, that means that it is emphatic and that it absolutely will happen. Will, when normal people say the word will, well, I'm going to do this. I will do this. It just means you're going to give it your best effort to do something that you're committing to. But when you say, I shall do this, that means it's absolutely certain you're not going to stop until it's done. 
Now God uses that word here. Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And we need to hear God's promises over and over again. And it says that in the Bible, in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the more you study his promises, the more you let those absorb into your heart, the more you'll have confidence. You hear what I'm saying? You can build your faith by studying the word of God. You can build your faith in God by reading his word over and over again. I mean the Bible, the whole Bible but also focus on these promises that he has for you because it says in Romans 10:17 faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God so you want more faith hear the word of God more often now Abram and Sarah needed this visit to be an encouragement they were probably getting pretty hopeless at this point in time it'd been 13 years God's promise Recently, three months ago, it had been that in another year, and now God is here saying again, this time with nine more months, you're going to have this child. Now, let's continue in chapter 18, verse 11 through 12, Sarah's reaction to God's promise. Remember, Abraham, when he was first told that Sarah would have a son, he laughed. But he laughed not because he was denying God's ability to do it, but just because it was so outrageous that God, who can do anything, would do the impossible. And Sarah, at 90 years of age, would have a child. And Abraham, at 99 years of age, both of them well, well past childbearing age, would have a son. Abraham just quickly played forward in his mind what other people would think. <laughs> he just laughed. He said, God, you're so outrageous. You're wonderful. That's amazing. No man would ever think that's, a, that's possible. Abraham laughed in that way. But Sarah, on the other hand, is doubting God. It says now in verse 11 through 12, Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well advanced in age, like we said. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Now Sarah, when she heard this, laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord also being old? Now think about that. After she had grown old, she's saying, Is this possible? How can that happen? By human reasoning, it couldn't happen, you see. But the promises of God are dramatic. And they are not limited by the reasoning and the limitations that man faces, you see. So even in your own life, sometimes God doesn't give you what you've asked for. And you begin to say to yourself, well, I know that God answers my prayers and my time is up for Him to answer my prayers. I think He should have answered it by now. So you start to spiritualize. Well, maybe he, didn't. he did answer it, but he didn't answer it literally. Maybe he answered things in a spiritual way. You see, that's the way it was 100 years ago when people and Christians looked at the Bible and the promises of God to make Israel great and a blessing in all of the earth. They would look up and they didn't see Israel. It didn't exist anymore a hundred years ago. And they said, well, then he must be talking about a spiritual Israel. He must be talking about the church being the modern day Israel. 
And that's where replacement theology came from. But in May 14th of 1948, God literally fulfilled His promises. Bible scholars get into trouble the most when they don't take the Word of God literally. But if you take God's Word literally, you will see that God says what He means, exactly what He means, and He means exactly what He says. And if you give Him time at the right time, He will do exactly what He says He will do. Most of the mistakes that have been made by biblical scholars in current times have been because they failed to take the Word of God literally. This is especially true for so-called liberal theologians. They don't think that God does miracles, and yet they call Him God and acknowledge that, yeah, He made everything that existed out of nothing. But they don't think He can do miracles anymore. They spiritualize all the promises and say, well, He's just talking about a metaphor for this or spiritualizing that. He doesn't really mean that He's going to do that exactly physically, and they start denying the power of God. They have a form of godliness, just like the Bible says, but deny the power of God. Don't let yourself fall into a liberal interpretation of Scripture. It seems like they're godly people, and they have clergy names, and they call themselves reverend and other things, and there's some that believe that call themselves reverend, but many of the people who pretend to be pastors in a liberal theological environment are actually trying to prove that God is not real. They're actually enemies of God trying to take issue with what He says and trying to discredit the promises of God. Get in a good Bible-based church. Believe the Word of God. Now, as we look on down, it seems like we always give up after too long of a time, but you need to be patient and wait for the goodness of God. He's still there. He heard you the first time. Don't you worry about it. Sarah, even though she was past the age of childbearing, was not past the work of God to do a miracle in her life. Even accounting for their long lives, Abraham lived to be 175. Sarah lived to be 127. They were both well past middle age, if you'd think of it like that. It would certainly take a miracle of God for them to have literal children through normal means. And therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, is what the Bible had said. This is what Sarah and Abraham most wanted in all of their lives. They wanted that child. And finally, after they had given up, here's God bringing that child to them. And they find it hard to believe that God's promise, just like He had promised them so long ago, was actually coming about at that time. And so many times we've given up. And then that's when God answers to show you that it's not going to be about your ability. It's not even going to be about you trying to work up faith within yourself. In fact, many times after people have given up, that's when God answers because all the glory will be to Him. If you think that you're just going to have faith and force God's hand to do something at a certain time and to do exactly what you want when you want it, then you're mistaken. That would bring the glory to you because you would have worked up faith and God will not allow your works to take His glory. 
So many times you will give up and then that's when he'll answer. It's better to just leave it in his hand and start thanking him and get on with life. And later, as he answers it, you'll see. Well, then it says in verses 13 through 15, And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? She laughed when she heard this through the tent door. She laughed. And she laughed and said, Surely shall I bear a child when I'm old? Now remember that she said within herself, she laughed within herself and said these things, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? She laughed within herself. What am I saying? Just like when Abraham laughed in a previous chapter, God said he heard it. Ah, but she said that within herself. How could God hear it? Because God hears your thoughts as well as your words. Don't you think that he who made the mind knows how the mind works? Just like he who made the mouth knows the words of the mouth and where they come in from, from, from in the heart, he also knows the brain. He knows the mind. He knows the spirit, how it works. And he hears those thoughts just like he hears your words. That's why it says in the Bible, God is not like man. God doesn't look on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. God looks on the heart. That's why it's important to keep the heart with all diligence because out of it proceed the issues of life. And then look at what God says. God says, verse 13 through 15, And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Surely I will bear a child since I am old. Say, Shall I surely bear a child when I am old, is what she said. And then God said, Is there anything too hard for the Lord? It's interesting because in the book of Isaiah, where, where it says that he will be, his name will be called Wonderful, Mighty Counselor, Everlasting God, Sar Shalom, Prince of Peace, Aviad, Everlasting God. It says that His name shall be called Wonderful. It's the same name, the same word where He says, Is anything too hard for the God, for, for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Too hard, hard being, is the same word as Wonderful in Isaiah. So basically you could read this in verse 13 through 15, where God says, Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? He will do things beyond what you think is possible. Beyond what you consider is wonderful, there is no limit for God. There is no boundary. He can do above and beyond all that you can think or imagine. He says, At the appointed time, I will return to you. According to the time of life, there it is, that nine months, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it. She said, no, I did not laugh, for she was afraid, it says. But God said, no, but you did laugh. Again, here's the Lord looking on the, looking on the heart, and Sarah knows that she's been caught. She didn't say these things, but inside she definitely thought them. And, and, and then God says, I heard that, Sarah. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? She goes, oh, I didn't say that. Well, she denied saying it. She didn't deny thinking it. And God heard the thoughts. And he said, no, but you did laugh. You can't fool God. And he knows everything. It's better just to say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And he is ready, willing, and able to forgive you. Now, why did Sarah laugh? 
She laughed because she was thinking of her own limitations and human, and human wisdom, human limitations. It says in 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he's still faithful. He cannot deny himself. If he's promised something, he's going to do it. It has no bearing on what you think about it. If he says he's going to do it, you can count on God to do it. He's faithful. He cannot deny himself, it says in 2 Timothy 2.13. Is there anything too hard? Is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? That's what it had said in Isaiah 9, verse 6. He, he is wonderful. Aviad, everlasting Father. Sar Shalom, Prince of Peace. Wonderful Counselor. And then the Lord said to Abram, he said, about his wife, he confronts Abram about what his wife said. It was only when Sarah denied that she said it that God talked directly to her. But before that, he said, why did Sarah laugh? Why did your wife laugh, Abram? He's approaching the spiritual head, the spiritual leader for the family. And then not going directly to Sarah himself, herself. God knows that after he leaves, that Abram and Sarah will have a little talk. And Abram will say, now Sarah, what happened back there? You know, don't worry, I, I laughed before when I heard it too, but God was patient and he was kind and he was forgiving. And, and there was, I was just a little confused, and, uh, but God simply forgave me. So it's okay, don't punish yourself over this, but learn from it. And let's both go forward together as husband and wife, believing on the Lord, believing in His Word. And God wanted them to have this little conversation after He left. Now, we're going to stop there as we are going through Genesis 18. And then next week, we're going to start up at verses 16 and go through the end of chapter 18. We're going to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. You know the story. But there's some things that we want to learn from that. You know, we need to be anchored to the promises of God. We need to be anchored to the Word. If you don't have an anchor down that's firmly planted on the sea bottom and everything, you're going to drift every time the wind comes up. Every time the waves change directions, you're going to go this way with the waves. You're going to go this way with the wind. You're going to go this way with the tide or, or this way because of some of the circumstances. And you're not going to be able to stand for anything in life because you're all over the place going with whatever is the fad for the day. Going with whatever is popular for the day. Going with whatever people think about how your life should be lived. Be anchored to the Word of God and watch what He will do in your life. Have you let God make you new yet? Why don't you give your life to Him today, right now? You know, if you call out to Him, He'll hear that cry and He'll answer you. He'll rescue you from the darkness that you're in, the darkness that surrounds you. He'll shine His light on your heart and you'll be given newness of life and hope and joy in life, peace finally in your life. He will change you into a new person, throw all those past failures away 
and you'll be completely new, given a new start. And He'll give you everlasting life in heaven. And that's guaranteed by God Himself. I'd like to give you an opportunity to believe on Jesus as the Messiah and Lord today and to receive God's peace in your life. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. Just pray something like this. You can repeat it after me if you'd like. Just say, God, I do want to know you and have real peace in life. I believe on your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins, Lord. I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I'll tell you something. God heard you. And He's already started working in your life. A little seed's been planted deep down in your heart. And over time, you're going to begin to see the wonderful things that God is doing in your life. Changes that He's making. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about Him and His Word every day. Talk to God every day in prayer. He's going to do beautiful things in your life.